0: Kat Feeney, on ABC Radio, Brisbane and Queensland. The ABC's Word Wizard, the Lord of Language, a word in your ear with Professor Raleigh Sussex.
1: It's that time of the day. The ABC's Word Wizard, Rolly Sussex, OAM, Emeritus Professor from the School of Languages and Cultures at the University of Queensland, is here, willing and able to talk with you about words, language, and linguistics. One three hundred triple two six twelve is the number you can call. That's one three hundred triple two six twelve. And Rolly, good afternoon. First of all, let's get an answer for dear Sky who is in Year 6 at Logan Home State School. Hi, my name is Skye. I was wondering, why do we call mouse mice and not house heist? Great question. Right, Rolly? Hello.
0: Excellent question. Hi, Cat. Yeah, no, Skye's right on the money here because this is part of a really, really interesting set of issues about English. Now... In modern English, if you think about it, most of the words we have make their plurals by putting s on the end, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But there are some which are left over from an earlier period of English where it was common to change the vowel. So you've got mouse and mice. You've also got louse and lice. And you've got foot and feet and goose, and geese. So these ones change the vowel in the middle, and they do it with several different vowels. So it's not just mouse, mice, it's a bit more than that. There are also some older ones left over, which put en on the end, child, children, and ox, oxen. And there's one more, brother, brethren, which is now only used in a religious kind of way. So obviously, there's one major group of words in English that makes their plurals with s and there's another which doesn't and they have different sorts of vowels now the word house was one of the ones which didn't change its vowel in old english and we're talking about english around about the year 1100 now it's a long time ago and instead of that it gradually adopted the s ending with a lot of other and nouns in English, so that that's the dominant way you make a vowel in modern English. And mice and uh, mouse and mice belong to the other group, which did change their vowel, and that has persisted into modern English, with the exception, by the way, with computers, because if you've got a computer and you've got a mouse and you have another one, then possibly you have computer mouses mm. rather than mice. People say both. What do you prefer cat?
1: I, I, I would say mouses, but then it would feel mm. weird either way, I think.
0: Yeah, it, it feels a bit funny because if you say mice, then you're looking for something with, with, uh, with hair running around looking for cheese. But um, mouses, I think, indicates that, you know, this is a special use of the word mouse. But anyway, Sky, that's the start of your answer, that there were two sorts of nouns in Old English, one of which changed their vowel in the middle, like mouse, mice, and the majority which didn't, uh, and like house, which was one of the ones that didn't. Now, making plurals in English is a bit of a problem because some words don't put anything on the end at all, like trout. You don't catch trouts, and you don't catch mooses, and you don't catch grouses. And in fact, most fish don't have S on the end, except for sharks and manta rays, I think, and dugongs, and that's about it. And of course, a dugong isn't really a fish anyway, it's a mammal. And Wales, of course, so they can have an S, but most of the time I caught so many flathead, I caught so many brim, I caught caught so many red emperor or whatever, they don't have S's. So we've got a lot of work to do learning about plurals in English without going to things like curriculum, curricula, which comes from Latin, or criterion, criteria, which comes from Greek, or French bureau, which has an X on the end to make a plural. So, English wasn't meant for those who want to have an easy run, I'm afraid. (laughs) And it gets worse. Oh, no. I want to come back to this S thing. Because if you have a look at the two words, back and bag, all right, there's a B-A and then another sound at the end. Don't worry about the C-K. There's just one noun, one one sound, k, and the bag is one sound, g, all right? Now, if you carefully put your thumb and forefinger on either side of your throat at your larynx, which is the where the bump is, because that's where your voice is produced. And if you say the last sound from back, you shouldn't feel any vibration in your throat. Huh. But if you do you should be able to feel the vibration oh, go, through go, your go, fingers. Go. Yeah. Got it? Yep. Right. Now, In linguistics, you say that the k sound is unvoiced because it's made without your voice, and the g sound is voiced. And you find the same pattern with bat, bat, and bad. The t sound is unvoiced, and the d sound is voiced. Now, when you put s on the end, we always write s, but after back, we pronounce it as s. But after bag, we pronounce it as z. Bags, Yeah. Bags. So what's going on? Well, S, if you put your fingers and thumb on either side of your throat and say S and then do Z, you'll have the same difference as before. S is unvoiced and Z is voiced. Hmm. And so the although we don't actually write this, we make it all the time correctly. And if you've got an unvoiced sound at the end of the word like back, then you have an unvoiced S, which is S back And if you've got a voice sound like G at the end of bag, then the S after it is pronounced like a Z, bags. Okay? Mm. There is a pattern, and it's, it, it covers all sorts of words. Now, there was a linguist in America called Jane Burko Gleason in 1960s, and she said, look, I'm going to test this. I'm going to invent a word that no one's heard before, and we'll see what they do with it. And the word was wug, W-U-G. And she said, okay... W-U-G. G's got a G at the end of it. And we'll ask people, if you had more than one WUG, what would you say? I've got several... WUGs. Of course, they said WUGs with a Z sound because the G is voiced. So it's not just a matter of old words which have kept their S or Z or whatever. This is brand new words which are following a rule. So we've discovered something very important about English. And it's that if you've got a voiceless sound at the end of the word, like back... Then you have a voiceless S. And if you have a voice sound like bag, you've got a voice sound, which is Z. Uh, Isn't that interesting?
1: (laughs) And just when we thought the most complicated process we'd heard about today was that of saponification, along comes uh, plurals and we learn a great deal more about the complex processes at work in the world. Professor Rolly Sussex is with you on ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland. My name is Kat. Twenty minutes past two Thank you very much to Sky at Logan Home State School for an excellent question. We'll have a few more questions from Skye's classmates shortly, but we've got to get to your calls, one 300 612 If you have a question for Rolly, Trish at Ashgrove, you certainly do. Hello, Trish. How are you going? Yes. Good, thank you. Um, I was wondering if Uh, Professor Rowley could um, solve an issue I've been debating with a friend about for quite a while now. Um, He says, ended up to mean arrive at a situation. I ended up going home instead. Or Mm -hmm. I say, I landed up to mean the same thing. I landed up going home instead. Um, I believe both are correct. My friend says I'm wrong that um, that's a corrupt use of that. I was wondering if Professor Rowley could help us out in this debate.
0: Okay, Trish, I'm, I'm Rowley to everybody. Please, no titles. Thank you anyway. Um, I'm, I always tread difficultly, well, carefully when getting between friends or husbands and wives on matters of language. Um, ended up is, is certainly the far more common one meaning that at the at the end of a process, you came to this or that conclusion. Landed up is used more commonly with, I landed up with, you know, I went out looking for a car, I spent a lot of time, and eventually, I'm afraid, bought a lemon, I landed up with something that was no good. So it is true that you can use it, meaning I eventually acquired something, but landed up Without an object is a bit a bit more unusual, and I'll have to do a bit of checking to make sure that you know how much it is used. Ended up is certainly the more common one, I'm afraid. Sorry.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Trish. Bye. Brad's in Aspley with a very smart-sounding question about reflexive pronouns. Brad, go ahead.
0: Uh, hi, Cat. Hi, Rolly. Hi. I was Here's just a... um, having this discussion with my wife. Short with danger, um, but nevertheless about people saying this has been referred to myself or would you like Mm. to come to dinner with my with myself and mum whereas to me it shouldn't be myself it should be I've treated myself or something like that but could you Mm -hmm. explain a little more Yeah, sure. Um, And again, husband and wife, I'm sorry, but we will have to come down on one side or the other here. Um, The the self-pronouns, they are reflexives, and they've got two uses in English, one of which, as you say, is I treated myself, I dressed myself. This is the reflexive motion, which you do, and it comes back to you, right? I shaved myself or whatever. The other one is emphatic. I myself don't agree with what you say. Okay, and those are the two uses Occasionally, you'll find it um, after prepositions, but mostly that that's all there is. And if someone says you ought to see myself after school, that I'm afraid is a mistake. Uh, the, The self is in a place where it shouldn't be. No, that's, that's great.
1: Thank you very much. Have a good day. Okay. Thank you, Brad, on ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland. My name is Kat and you are with Professor Roly Sussex. It's 25 minutes past two. Uh, your questions about language and linguistics on 1300 222 612, please. Deirdre at Northgate, I'll come to you in a moment. We've got a couple of really good ones uh, still in the bag from the bright young minds of Logan Home State School. Roly, Justice has... A doozy of a question for you. Here's what Justice would like help with, please. Hello, my name is Justice, and I'm wondering, how did people
0: communicate before words were even created? Ah. Well, now, of course, we weren't there, so it's all a matter of scientific reconstruction to find out what sort of possibilities there are. And they've sometimes done some work on this with people who can't hear and people who can't see as well they did have almost certainly systems of sounds so that, you know, you'd you'd make uh, soothing noises to a baby or you might go meow, meow to a cat and possibly you went quack, quack to a duck if you were hunting and the duck would think, oh, wow, I'm, I'll go over there and meet the other ju- duck and when the duck came within reach, you grabbed it and had it for dinner. So there was an imitation use of language and the, the sounds to babies were almost certainly part of people, you know, communicating with each other in a way before language was invented. If you want to have a look at a great book on this, there's a story by Rudyard Kipling called How the Alphabet Was Made, and that's uh, got a lot to do with how we first invented uh, writing, which is related to this question. But other than that, of course, it was pointing and uh, trying to get people to collaborate to do things because life in those days was a matter of food and survival and trying to avoid getting eaten. It wasn't easy.
1: No, it would not have been easy at all. Uh, And again, Deirdre, thank you for holding. One more quick question, which kind of follows really nicely from Justice's question, and that Mm -hmm. is Suchandra's question. Hi, my name is Suchandra, and I was wondering how languages have evolved
0: through the years. Oh, the the short version would take me several days and the long version would take several years. Um, Languages... Probably arose in Africa somewhere about a hundred thousand years ago, and out of that single location, they spread all over the world. And when you think that we've now got 600, say, 6,900 languages which are still alive, and most of those you can't understand anyone in another language, it's an astonishing amount of. You no know, diversification, so that from one basis of language, it probably is the is the case that all of these other ones have evolved. So as they went, as people moved out of Africa into Europe and then into Asia and eventually to Australia and so on, the languages just uh, no, they didn't have any communication back with home base, and they developed their own ways of speaking, and they got more and more distinct. And sometimes this can happen quite quickly. In certain parts of Australia, we've got certain words that are used for, say, in WA, um, they've got a certain sort of yabby called a marin. And I don't think we have marrons elsewhere in Australia. So there are words which can grow up really quickly for local things which separate you from the people who live somewhere else. So this is the dispersal idea of language, and it's a fantastic story because if you think about it, 100,000 years in the life of the planet is a tiny bit of time. And yet out of that, we've got nearly 7,000 languages.
1: Extraordinary. Suchandra, thank you. And uh, some more questions from Logan Home State School to come on ABC Radio Brisbane in Queensland, where it's almost half past two. Deirdre, thank you so much for holding. Deirdre's in Northgate, what would you like to know? Oh, hi, Kat and Rowley. On the radio during the floods, we've been hearing about a deluge I've always called it a deluge and a refuge, mm-hmm. and nearly every broadcaster says the soft ending, and I'm wondering which is the correct Australian pronunciation for deluge, no. deluge.
0: Yeah, Good question. Well, Thank you. Yeah, the, the word comes from French where it is, is deluge with a j. but in English there's no doubt at all. It's a bit like judge, you know, with a j at the end, and the correct and accepted pronunciation is Deluge. Um, But the floods, by the way, have given us another new word, which is rain bomb, which I hadn't seen before, uh, meaning a colossal amount of rain falling in a concerted way over one area. And I'm expecting that this is going to become part of our regular Bureau of Meteorology talk, actually.
1: Rain bomb, Um, really? Rain bomb, yep. Okay. Interesting. Uh
0: Well... Yeah, if you on. think more about it, think about all those weather events that have happened over the last 10 years. You've got a rain event and a hail event and a thunder event and a lightning event and a, a wind event and a cyclone event and a tsunami event. Instead of having just, there's a, going to be rain this afternoon, they've acquired an event from somewhere. And that's become pretty much standard. So these things can establish themselves quite quickly.
1: Hmm. And so is it is it almost a response to... Uh, you know a need to find um, a better or more descriptive uh, terms to adequately convey the meaning behind what is being forecast. you know just saying I- thunderstorm or heavy thunderstorm doesn't really express the degree of of the you know the severity of the event. That you're mentioning here, That's
0: a pretty neat explanation. Okay. Uh, I, I think, you know, it encapsulates the fact that, that here is a particular series of phenomena associated with, shall we say, vast amounts of rain falling in one place. And they these are distinct from ordinary rain, you know, or light rain or hail or whatever. And so event, I think, has become established. Rain bomb is, again, another attempt, I think, to create a term for something special and very much to be feared nowadays. Hmm.
1: Okay, uh, Bill is at Stanthorpe. Last time I was out at Stanthorpe, uh, Bill, everything was pretty well in grayscale. How are things looking at the moment? Oh, pretty good at the moment. Yeah? Yeah. Good. Goodo. Now, you've been patiently holding, Bill. Thank you. What would you like to ask Rolly? Yes, I'd like to know what the difference is between the two words customer and client.
0: Hmm. Okay. Um, It it differs from uh, industry to industry, and uh, customer is usually someone who uh, comes in and buys something, and it's usually a financial transaction. Now, clients can be as well, but uh, they tend to be, I think, they spend a bit more money um there are um you know if you're a a client of a lawyer for example you go and consult them to get their expert advice and help in doing something or other whereas a customer can be i think much shorter and it i think is, is accompanied by fewer dollars and you're probably buying and selling things if you're a customer whereas it with if it's a client it's more likely to be services unless you're going to a medical practice in which case you're a patient um, okay, by the way, very much. we we yeah we used to have customers I think on the airlines, but they now tend to call us guests, uh, and that does bother me because guests in my house don't have to pay for dinner, uh, whereas on airlines I'm afraid you do.
1: <laughs> very true. Uh, okay. Um, We are going to continue to take uh, your calls this afternoon on ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland. If you've just joined in, my name is Kat. G'day. Hello. It is Thursday afternoon, which means it's Words Day afternoon. Professor Rolly Sussex, the ABC's Lord of Language, is here having a word in your ear. Um, We've been hearing from the clever kids at Logan Home State School. A couple more questions from them for you, Rolly, and calls as well, to follow. But I wanted to see what you could do to help Sage out. Um, Sage has another really sharp question for you. Hi, my name is Sage, and my question is, what was the first language on Earth and who created it?
0: Ooh, Good one. I, I, I sort of talked about that before. It was probably an African language, but what it was like, we honestly don't know. Um, people have been trying to reconstruct it, and they've been looking at, you know, how the human body, say, the skull and the brain and the tongue and the jaw have developed, because that has a lot to do with the sort of sounds that you can make. The earliest written records we've got of language are about 3000 BC, and that's from the Middle East, and so there's, and, and even then, we're not entirely sure about how the languages were put together. We've got pretty good clues, but not entirely great. So um, there was actually a, an experiment conducted by King James of Scotland. And uh, he was interested in this question, and they got a child and um, shut it away, and no one was allowed to talk to or in the presence of the child. And they waited to see what word the child would utter first. And it uttered a word which they decided was a Hebrew word, and they decided that Hebrew was therefore the first language. Well, it's a very old language of the Bible, of course, but it certainly wasn't the first one.
1: I mean, what an extraordinary thing to
0: do to a a child. (laughs) They were dead serious, I can tell you.
1: Wow, okay. Um, Is this King James of Scotland of the Bible fame?
0: I think it was him. He was he was very interested in language, and of course, he was the person who set up the translation of the Bible, which came out in sixteen eleven. Mm-hmm. And um, among among the other lovely things that happened then was they they didn't mind about plagiarism. He said, "Look, if there's a previous version that's good, use it." And so, one of my heroes is a man called John Tyndall. Sorry, William Tyndall, um, who had translated the Bible about 100 years earlier. And I think 70 to 80% of certain bits of the Old Testament, which turn up in the King James Bible, are in fact in Tyndall's version. Um, and they were so grateful that they burnt him at the stake and then distributed his ashes all over the place so they shouldn't come together on Resurrection Day.
1: Well, it gives a new meaning to the term cut and paste, doesn't it, Rolly? Oh, 25 minutes to three on ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland. Warren at Morningside with a question that I have had burning at the back of my mind in recent weeks to Warren. I'm so glad you called. Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon, Kat. Good afternoon, Rowley. Hi, Warren. Hello. Yes, go for it. Yes, my word I'm uh,
1: trying to get around is uh, encephalitis. We're always uh, taught it as
0: that word. Now, it seems Mm -hmm. to be encephalitis. yes. Okay, encephalitis or encephalitis, both are accepted. Uh, the word in Greek, kephalos, which is where's where we got it from originally, um, is certainly okay. And uh, thanks to Hippocrates, who was a doctor about the 5th century BC, a lot of these words were laid down then in Greek or imitated from Greek later on. However, uh, CE in English is S, not K, And that's the reason we get both encephalitis and encephalitis and both are Okay. And you'll find a similar problem, by the way, in meninges and meningococcal. Because in meningococcal it's G-O, and G-O in in English is G. But the meninges, G-E-S, is the membrane around the brain. And some people say meningococcal to keep the connection yeah. between them, and others will say meningococcal because they want to get the, the pronunciation strictly according to the, the way it's written. So that's your answer about encephalitis, and I'm afraid Japanese encephalitis is something you don't want to get.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank You're you. Welcome. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Warren. Uh, John, at Bribey Island. Hello, John. How are you going?
0: Very well, thank you. Yourself?
1: Very well, sir. What would you like help with this afternoon?
0: The... the um. The difference between A and An, if you go to an hotel or a hotel or -hmm. or you go to, you know, An, that that always confuses me. Right. The rule in English is it's A before a consonant, so A, Bible, A, Cat, A, Dinosaur, and it's An before a vowel, um, you know, An, Umbrella, and so on. With H, it depends on how strongly the H is pronounced. And H-O-T-E-L used to be pronounced hotel because it was borrowed from French, and in French it is hotel. So yeah. that counted as a vowel, so it was an hotel. And that was certainly the way they used to talk about 1920, 1930. But since then, two things have happened. Um, the H has become more pronounced, and so it's more like a consonant that's there, and so the A hotel has become more common. Now... If you've got a word beginning with H where the stress is on the first syllable, like history, the H is nice and strong, a history of Australia. But if it's in the if the stress is on the second syllable, historical, the H is much weaker. And so people kind of don't hear it. And some people will say an historical, which is what it used to be. And others will say a historical historical. Because the H is gradually getting stronger over time, and both are accepted at the moment, uh, and I think that probably AA historical will win out. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. One, one mm. other question.
1: Oh, quick, John, we're running out of time. What is it?
0: Okay. Or talking it maybe you, society, Kevin Aldous, story. Or talking maybe Uialating, Kevin, old is the song, Okay, why me? Well, talk this is independent. Eulating um, means howling. Uh, bibulous means drinking. It sounds like a lot of people who've been on the terps. Oh, okay. That is. Well, what we're usually it's the. Uh no, drunk and howling bell ringers is what we call
1: them. <laughs> right. Sat- Saturday night at my place, John. Okay, cool. That's that then. <laughs> Thank Lovely. you. Lovely. Um, okay. Look, we, we will have uh, your last word in a moment, Voli, but first off, uh, Zali has our last question from the students at Logan Home State School. Hi, my name is Zali, and I was wondering how the language gibberish was created.
0: Oh. Uh, Gibberish isn't so much a language It's a a form of babbling And there are all sorts of babblings around the world In different languages It's got different sort of shapes Will you allow me to take that one on board for next week Because it's quite quite a complicated one And really interesting No problems You do that so well
1: Righto, Rolly It is now time for your last word
0: A Texan was visiting Harvard University And he was lost So he stopped a student and said Do you know where the library is at? And the student said, yeah, of course I do. But uh, you're not supposed to end sentences with prepositions. What prepositions? You entered your sentences with at and you're not supposed to do that. And so the Texan said back, oh, okay. do you know where the library is at, you idiot? It's
1: been a real pleasure, Rolly. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Gee, I didn't know you could do that.
1: ABC Radio, Brisbane and Queensland. A big thank you to Angela Armstrong, the Deputy Principal at Logan Home State School for arranging all those wonderful questions. If your school community would like to have a word in the ear of our word wizard, Roly Sussex, then please do get in touch. You can call now to register your interest on 1300 222 612 or you can text on 0467 922 612. Don't forget, Roly, we'll be back with you at two o'clock next Thursday. That's Word's Day, Thursday, Word's Day. Uh, If you can't wait until then, do subscribe to the Word in Your Ear podcast.
0: On your radio and online.
1: At home or on the road. This is ABC Radio.